in there. It's weird and pissed off, whatever it is. She just goes a little mad sometimes. We all go a little mad sometimes. Game over, man. Game over. What an excellent day for an exorcism. You are invited to an open house where horror will be your host. Don't fall asleep. Fan interactions are a weird thing. Really? Well, they can be. Mm-hmm. Because we were talking just before I pressed record on my snazzy machine here. Mm-hmm. We were talking about some of the very awkward interactions that people have with, mm-hmm. with their fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, a friend of mine uh, recently got slightly outed trying to pick up one of the audience members in a not-so-subtle way. And this person thought that it was really cool to, to have a comedian reach out to her and say that you're a great laugher, <laughs> not realising that he's, he's doing a bit of the old James Franco. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I see... This is why it's weird. I, I like in my mind, it's got to be hard for like comedians because, like, what is your pickup line? It's like, oh, if you think that's funny, wait till I get you home. <laughs> what? Wait, what? <laughs> what? Most comedians, uh, I mean, the two advantages that most comedians have is that that shows are very late at night mm-hmm. and people are very, very drunk. drunk. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's like as I said to you, like, do comedians get groupies? Yes. You you get chuckle groupies. Yes. Gaggle groupies. Well, the the American vernacular is chuckle fucker. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Uh, yeah. And I, I've never heard an Aussie slang for it. It's just. Well, we should create one. We should. Yeah. Yeah. For uh oh. Lol gobbler. Oh. That's, that's not good. And there we go. Let's scrap this idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already, I'm like, ah, oh, this is abort, abort. Bad decision. Bad decision. <laughs> Don't ever date a comedian. <laughs> so, okay. So is it just like they, they just keep coming to like, they'll go to like repeat gigs or, you know, are they just like, ooh, make me laugh, funny boy? Yeah, no. Uh, well, look, I can't speak from experience because I'm, I'm a good Christian boy. Oh, you say because you're not that funny. <laughs> well, both. <laughs> little from A, little from B. And i got legs like a forklift. <laughs> so... <laughs> I once got confronted, well, confronted is not the right word. Some other comedians saw me in the Festival Gardens, one Adelaide Fringe Festival, uh-huh. and actually walked up to me and said, can we feel your legs? And I said, why? And they said, we want to know if they're real. Well, would you, they think you were like, like you'd strapped like bags of wine to your leg or something to like get Pretty it much. in past the security? And then when they did, they're just like, they had to start asking me all these other questions. Like, can you buy hats in normal stores? And... Do you, do you use a normal toothbrush or do you have to use like a horse toothbrush? <laughs> uh, Shout out to Demi Lardner and uh, James McCann for that one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I was going to say it sounds a bit Weinstein-y. It does, but, yeah. Okay, yeah. But I, I have a very large head uh-huh. and very large calf muscles. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm, I'm from Welsh coal miner stock. Okay. Actually, does that is, does that work against you having very large calf muscles? Because does it make just everything else shrink in comparison? <laughs> uh, it just makes everything harder to do. I've got more meat to move. Oh, because I was going to say, like, it's not like, you know, like there's that old thing of like, oh, you know, you don't have a lot. Trim back the hair, makes it bigger. What? Yeah. What do you what do you do if you've got hairy thighs? You can only do so much. Yeah. When you've got actual calf muscles like He-Man and the rest of you is just flab. 
It's mm. very strange. Mm. I once uh, had a personal trainer. He was an ex-Marine from America. Oh, personal trainer or guy you fucked? No, he was married to a lovely lady. Okay. Um, he, he had met her and moved out to here for for love. Um, and he gave me the advice that if I was ever in trouble, uh, because I, I've got like the wussiest arms ever. Really? No, you don't. Oh, I do. I really do. But like, You used to play rugby. Yeah, I know. It's, so it's you, all in the legs. Everything was I, in the shoulders and, and push. But as soon as it comes to my arms, ah, ah, ah. okay. Um, so his defense was, if I ever truly got into trouble, would be to just like drop to the ground and then just like kick them to death. Yeah, the Chihuahua defense. Yeah, just <laughs> the Karate Kid would have been a very different film. Yeah, so basically, just like you know, like kick them in the legs, knock them to ground, and then kick them in the face. Fair enough. Yeah, so he was a good trainer. Good trainer. There yeah. You go. So I, I I lost a hero this week. Oh, I did. Awkward fan interactions. It was. It's a very disturbing thing because I grew up listening to a lot of Megadeth. Uh huh. Because uh, I lived in the bush. Uh-huh. And me and my friends who later on, you know, would play in bands together. Mm-hmm. Used to oh, play. one went on to become a car bomber. Yes. <laughs> that is true. Yes. But the rest of us formed a terrible band. <laughs> we used to listen to a lot of Megadeth. Uh-huh. And uh, it was it was very confronting to turn on the internet this week mm. to be confronted with a barrage of video of their very clean cut appearing bass player jerking off at the camera. I'm sorry. Yeah, so he's been accused of grooming a young fan. And it's it's all How young? How young a fan? So look, it's it's all very murky, but he's come out and said no, she was of legal age, which is when you're 56, man, that's like yeah, that's unless unless she's like 52, she's not of legal age, mate. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not like catching a fish. You don't put it up against the ruler and just go, "Oh, I can oh, keep that one." Yep, yep. Woo! <laughs> don't have to throw it back. <laughs> Yeah, you really pull out the tip. So what what appears to have happened is that someone, a third party, has gotten hold of a whole bunch of intimate exchanges between him and a fan. Uh huh. And we don't get to see any of her. Uh huh. Which is fair enough because it yep. sounds like she's a child. Yes. Uh, lots of video of him. Oh. And you don't need to see your musical heroes furiously masturbating in their late fifties. Well. It's interesting though because I never thought anyone in Megadeth would die of shame. <laughs> <laughs> Just one of them's dead of a drug overdose. The other one had a heart attack. Yeah. This guy. And the other one's jerking off to kids. Yeah. Oh. Well. Allegedly. Allegedly. Let's allegedly. Not, let's not, but yeah, yeah it's, oh man. There oh. you go. Well, that's. See, I was I was actually half enjoying watching Megadeth because Dave Mustaine, the front man, has mm. been slowly turning into a character from the Dark Crystal. <laughs> Just slowly becoming older and haggard and oh. he can't even speak anymore. I bet you he wishes he could just like disappear right now into <laughs> nothingness. Oh my god. So what are you saying? Is like you've learnt from this week to take down all of your masturbation videos off Facebook? Yeah. Is well, that what you're telling me? Yeah, my, my TikTok is barren now. Mm. I don't have TikTok. Mm. Mm. I mean, I, I've got enough body shame to never mm. upload that kind of stuff. Thank goodness. Well, you know, if you can't, you know, if you can't thank a fan with a jerk off video, what's the world coming to? He's on cameo. That's the interesting thing. I'd like to like, Hello. just request him like fifteen bucks, dude. 
like Dirk Diggler at the end of Boogie Nights when he's down and out. Just in the car bucks. park. Yeah. Come on, man. Five bucks to see it, man. Ten bucks for me to touch it. <laughs> That'll make the best cameo ever. <laughs> hey, JD from Arlington, Texas. It's uh, David Ellison from Megadeth here. Um, hey, you're a big fan. Yeah. <laughs> All right, say hi to everyone. Uh, visit Die Back Daryl's Grave for me. Peace out. Say hi to your kids for me. Oh, no. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Okay. So that was that was interesting. Wow. You know who you can get over Cameo? Because once I saw that Cameo was a thing, yeah. obviously you had to go and Google, you know, just see yeah. who was on it. Um, you can get the epic sax guy from the Lost Boys. Really? Yes. Wow. I know. I'm so excited. You know you can get Stormy Daniels. Oh, really? I tried to get Stormy Daniels to promote a festival show, but she wouldn't do it. Oh, oh and she, considering she's done Trump, she'll really do anything for cash. Yeah, but she got 200 grand for that. I was offering 500. Oh, I, I still think yours had more dignity. <laughs> you can get all sorts of people. That, you can get um, Gary Busey. Yeah, but isn't that just where he just angrily yells at a sandwich? <laughs> he plays people's songs. Like he writes people original songs. Oh, really? And it's like this real Wesley Willis vibe. Alan is my set. Like it's like that where he just kind of plays just like half muted chords that are fucked. Oh, my God. And then just, oh, it's unfucking believable Oh, my God. I got to admit, I am, and this is so embarrassing, like, because yeah. we all fangirl. Like, we, there's always, you know, someone. I don't care if it's you, me, or, you know, the president. We all fangirl oh, over I someone. Know. I absolutely fangirled when I found out that Michael Bean was on Cameo. Oh, really? And I actually saw him, and I, I honestly, I got so excited, I actually, like, teared up. And then I said, I like to my friend, I'm like, I can order my own cameo, right? I can like, I can get him to just give me a shout out. And she has absolutely barred me saying, no, you absolutely cannot like pay Michael Bean to give you a shout out on cameo. And I'm like, what? Why not? Just treat him like a basic pleasure model replicant <laughs> for $15. Oh my God. And you know what's worst? I've actually joined, like I am, I am actually a member of the Michael Bean fan club. Paid up. Who runs it? Does he run it? No. It's just, just people who love Michael Bean. Okay. I also follow the Michael Bean blog on Instagram where they just review uh, Michael Bean fans. <laughs> <laughs> just all of his movies. Wow. I love it. Yeah. But, you know, it's like we all fangirl over somebody. So I don't think – I'd actually be delighted if I open up my – if I open up, you know, my Instagram tomorrow and Michael Bean was fapping one off <laughs> – uh, it would bring a tear to my eye. I'd be like, oh, my God. Just, oh, my God, that's amazing. Or as he calls it, taking off and nuking it from orbit. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> Just to be sure. <laughs> oh, my God. Best sex scandal ever. That would be pretty good. Oh, my Lord. Oh, just, that's, just, that's just so me. That's so... I mean, actually, you know what is... Speaking of appropriate things, yeah. Okay. Um, when I arrived at your house today, I actually gave you some exciting news. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> stuff I wanted to hear. My period started today. Hooray for yay! I need some like clapping music on this. You know, yes. <laughs> Thank you. My, my so my periods uh, started today, um, and I think it's appropriate that what can I say? It's that time of the month that we talk about. This week's topic, 
Dog Soldiers, See, the I th- movie. I thought I was giving you enough of a whole, oh, people, you're finding out people are, are monsters within, but now you're like, nah, fuck it, I'm bleeding vaginally. Let's <laughs> let's go with that. <laughs> what? We need to normalise it. The more we talk about it, the more we normalise it. Well, that is true. And I'm sure that um, I'm sure that if we bring enough werewolves into the light, more mm. men will be happy purchasing tampons for their partners. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. What? Why are men funny about that? By the way, it's it's that whole it's it's just more to do with that whole shaming of women, you know everything like the whole I mean the whole idea of like Carrie, you know it's like oh you dirty bleeding beast, yeah, you know once she once once a woman becomes you know bleeding she's dirty she's of the sin, yeah unless you're like a, a fading celebrity then you're just like ooh nearly legal. <laughs> So yeah, I don't know. It's just it's one of those things that was ingrained where it's like only because it annoys me because I remember um, back when I used to have a job, <laughs> there was a woman who was like, you know, who was like forty, and she got up and she was clearly like going to the bathroom. You know, she had to like change her sanitary napkin. Yeah, and I saw a forty-year-old woman actually take a sanitary pad and like push it up the sleeve of her jumper. For the walk from her computer to the bathroom so no one would know the shame that once a month she bleeds. Jesus Christ. And that's how ingrained it is on society. And I say, fuck it. I am a warrior and I bleed. Although you might have just been witnessing an adept shoplifter <laughs> practicing her moves. <laughs> just like getting all the sticky tape for Christmas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sanitary products, men. Look away. Look away. <laughs> Yeah, no. So you know, it's what can I say? It's that time of the month. So why didn't she just take her bag? Ah, uh, look, there. Are, you know, no one wants to take their bag in the toilet. Then you got all the poo air. Oh, that's true. On the you poo ground. Yeah, poo. Yeah, where do you hang it up? There's there's no hooks on the back of the door. Oh, okay. You know, poo particles. You know. But you know, according to tabloid TV, they're everywhere. Poo particles. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. Poo, jizz, and blood. Hotel rooms. Mm, replete mm, with mm, them. Mm. Well, that that's what I pay my 10% for. Yeah. That's why, yeah. why I don't go into fucking Airbnb. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I thought it was because you didn't want the owners watching you jack off. Well, I don't because, you know, I don't want to be exposed and lose my job in Megadeth. Yeah, but okay, I was going to say again, <laughs> they could just look on Instagram. <laughs> but dog soldiers. Oh, my God. I am so excited we're doing this. This is, this is one of my all-time favourite movies. Yeah. You hadn't seen it before. I, have I not. made you uh watch it. Yes. Uh for this. Yes. Uh for this broadcast. What do you think? <sighs> what's that? What's, See, what's <sighs> So this is a this movie was made in 2002? Yes. Formative years for me in terms of movies. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um I think the problem being, you know, it's it's supposed to be a very cool, very atmospheric, very culturally relevant Werewolf horror film. Mm-hmm. For me, I've already seen Brain Dead slash uh-huh. Dead Alive. Yep, that to me nails horror comedy and like the bar's been set. Mm-hmm. Even I even even Shaun of the Dead I hold against that film. Yeah. So for me, I was a bit disappointed, but there were good, <gasps> I know, but there were there were shining beacons within it. No, well, I think I think the important thing is is that Neil Marshall didn't didn't set out to make a werewolf movie with soldiers he set out to make a soldier movie with werewolves 
Okay. And I think that's, for me, that's what sets this film apart and makes it one of the all-time greatest werewolf movies ever. Okay, okay. Uh, that being said, I absolutely fucking hate this genre. <laughs> I refuse to watch this genre because it scares the living shit out of me. Really? This, you know, everyone has their irrational fears. Uh, this is one of my like werewolves. irrational fears. Yes. You legitimately think there's werewolves? Yes. And stop saying it in okay. case you encant one. Okay. Like genuinely, I don't go walking on full moons. I don't camp. Okay. <laughs> like I, they scare the shit. Because you know what I mean? Like anything else, aliens vampires, yeah, you know, zombies, anything. You know what it is? You can kill it. Werewolves are fucking impossible to kill. Impossible. Okay. So aliens, statistically probably real. Yeah. Whether or not they've ever visited Earth is another thing. Yeah. So there's, there's actually a chance mathematically you could encounter one. Yeah. Vampires, there's dipshits out there. <laughs> you know, ranging from people who like the cure just a little bit too much uh-huh, uh-huh. through to... People who actually drink blood and actually know, glitter in the sunlight. Yeah, well, yeah, they're not actual vampiric, you know, <laughs> demonic manifestations. What are you trying to say? Well, you what know, are you trying to say? Well, they don't live that long. Yeah, yeah. You know, no, I just, I just, they absolutely just scare the shit out of me, and I think one of the reasons was because I remember my sister was supposed to be babysitting me. Yeah, but because she's a hoe. She was too busy making out and they had here in Australia on like uh, Friday and Saturday nights, the um, the ABC would play a program called Rage where basically from like midnight to like 5am they would just play, you know, video clips. Yeah, it was MTV without the bullshit. Yeah. And basically I remember, you know, like creeping out because like Rage was on to like watch the TV and it was Michael Jackson's Thriller. Okay, yep. I was very small. It was the full film clip. Oh, okay, yep. I don't know if it's that, but I think it could be – I've never recovered from it. It could be like why I love zombie movies so much, but why I cannot deal with werewolves. Yeah, that scared the shit out of me as a kid. Funnily enough, I saw American Werewolf in London not long after Yeah, and loved it. Oh. I still love that film. No, I still have nightmares because when I was a teenager – um, this guy I knew, Anthony, he had like he had taped some stuff on DVD for me. Yeah. And I remember I was watching it and sort of while I watched it, I kind of had a what kind of I don't know, something just upset me. It ups- um he had spliced in, because he knew that I had a werewolf phobia. <laughs> he had spliced in micro scenes from an American werewolf in London. Oh, nice. And I have never recovered from that. To this day, I cannot catch a subway, like take escalators down into a subway. Wow. I cannot. It just, <laughs> it freaks the shit out of me. Um, so, yeah. And the only reason I saw this movie is because one of my all-time favourite actors is Sean Pertwee, who, trivia, if you didn't know, is actually the son of John Pertwee, who was one of the doctors. Yeah, in, in I believe the, the third doctor. Oh, William Hartnell, Patrick Troughton, John Pertwee. Was he? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the the son of the legendary uh, doctor. Uh, so I, and also I'm a- Wurzel Gummidge. <laughs> <laughs> 
I was like, oh, God damn it, he's my favourite actor, but I could not watch this movie because obviously, you know, it's my biggest fear. Yeah. Um, I got hit by a car. Is that because is that you're too scared to take the subway? <laughs> yeah, probably. It's <laughs> riding my bike. Got hit by um, – still in shock, obviously high, still on – like overly high on medication. Um, and when – I, I just was like walking around the next day. I shouldn't have been. And I was like, I'm going to get the videos because it was right next door to me. Yeah. So I went into the video store and there it was. And I was high enough that I gave in. <laughs> and it has been one of my favourite films ever since. I can still remember walking past it for years and mm. just going, not today. <laughs> and it was finally because you made me watch it that, yeah. I, that I did see it. Um. But yeah, we had, we because uh, that's probably the first DVD I've watched in a very long time. Yeah, so everything's streaming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, and I've yeah. I've bought everything else that I used to own on DVD on Google. Yep. Man, I forgot about all the fucking nightmare of when a, a cheap DVD player tries to fill the whole screen. <laughs> so if we're watching the first ten minutes, and I'm just like going, "What the fuck is with the framing?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. In this thing, then I realized, ah, oh, like it's it's literally gone to two hundred percent to try and fill. The letterboxing. <laughs> you cheap piece of shit. No. Yeah. Well, we're going to have a look at uh, Dog Soldiers and I'll fill you in with a little bit of info and maybe you might get a little bit more respect. Okay. For one of my all-time favourite movies. Didn't say I hated it. I just said I was disappointed. Mm-hmm. Was that because I talked it up too you hi- much? You hyped it up like fuck. Yeah. It was like a Mayweather fight versus some cripple. You're just like, oh. I'm... <laughs> and then I was watching it. I was like, oh, man, it's just he's beating a cripple. <laughs> no. It's a, don't listen. Don't listen to John. It is an amazing movie. We will say to you there are going to be some pots, uh, plot spoilers. spoilers in this. Um, so maybe you want to rush off and watch the movie now or have a little bit of a listen and think, if you can get hold of it. Yeah. I'm not going to give you the full details of the ending or anything and we've tried to leave it a bit vague about people dying if they die. Yeah. Um, so don't be too stressed. Um, but, I mean, I mean, what can we say? Basically, the world is obsessed with who would win scenarios. Yeah. Batman versus Superman, good versus evil, Indiana Jones versus a giant rolling ball, Indiana Jones versus Nazis, Samurais versus ninjas, aliens versus predators. Or in the case of today's movie, soldiers versus something in the woods. As we look at the cult classic, genre-leading, scene-stealing, nightmare-producing... Oh, there's a lot of hyperbole there. Dog soldiers. Oh. (laughs) Or... Oh, hang on. I need to use my, my special reverb. Do that again. Nine hundred bucks I paid for that. Or who let the dogs out? God. Or (sighs) he who barks last. (laughs) Or gone to the dogs. Yes. Or this is totally bone. (laughs) Or bad dog. (laughs) <laughs> I didn't come up with an alternative title. Um, a, a Scottish werewolf in the Highlands. Hey. A, a deep fried mystery. Oh. I don't know. I didn't think. I didn't think too hard. <laughs> a peaty, peaty mystery. Can't take you anywhere. Yeah. Uh, now this movie starts with a young couple, doesn't it? Always 
Camping in the highlands of Scotland to celebrate an achievement made by the young man. I mean, that was their first step wrong. Who celebrates anything by going camping? Who goes camping in the Scottish fucking highlands? I know. I mean, really. like, <laughs> Let's just strap ourselves to a comet. It'll be warmer. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. <sighs> and there's more vegetation. Oh, my God. Now, the beginning of this film, honestly, is why I don't go camping. Okay, yep. The opening title drops... Which, I mean, the director, Neil Marshall, is very vocal in that he hates the opening title, describing it, describing it as looking, and I quote, cheap as shit. <laughs> uh, which I actually have to agree with. This is the man who made the new Hellboy, by the way. Yeah, let's not talk about that. Really? Because I think that's a far greater film. Oh! Oh! Anyway. Shit on you. <laughs> oh. Cut tonight. <laughs> oh my god no honestly this first scene okay so it's a young couple yeah and they're in a tent making a little bit of smoochy 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 she's there legs akimbo he starts unzipping her extra thermal ski pants hot and this is the first time i've ever seen a dutch angle camera shot yeah. from below a woman's waist yes so you're, you're about to see some porn action yeah like, yeah. it's, you know, because they really want you to, you know, and they zoom in on him undoing the the zipper on her pants. Yeah. And you hear that as he unzips her pants. Yeah. The problem is he gets to the bottom of her pants and the sound of zipper continues. The two of them. Just, just, I'm going to stop you right now. Yeah. Who... The the universal sound for zipper is zzz, not like you're the a fucking... zipper actually goes. Oh, you know what? I've got a zipper. I should just. There's definitely a Z in there. There's no Z in there. That's a. Oh my god! You sound like a COVID patient. <laughs> you sound like a fucking Ed Wood vampire. That's me undoing my hoodie. So. The, the sound of the zipper continues. Worst Foley artist ever. <laughs> oh. Okay. You sound like my girlfriend after she's been drinking snoring. <laughs> and we look to the zipper of the tent as the zipper of the tent is being raised from the outside. Always fun when you're camping. <laughs> then his girlfriend is grabbed and Pulls through the window. This is why I don't camp. Just when you think it's going to be some innocent dogging, it's uh, a giant dog. Yeah. Oh, woo. no, we don't see what it is. Uh, don't we, see what it is. We certainly hear it, though. Cut tonight. We see a first young soldier running desperately through the woods. Being, we are informed, evading capture for 24 hours as the sniffer dogs continue to bark. The man in charge of the assessment, Captain Ryan, played wonderfully. I love it. They were like, quick, we need an Englishman. Get that Irish actor over here immediately. Uh, Liam Cunningham, who, of course, went on to, uh, you may know from Game of Thrones. Yep. Um, instructs the young soldier to shoot the dog, to which the young squatty Cooper refuses. So Captain Ryan fails Cooper and then shoots the dog anyway. Now, is that a nod to Kingsman or is Kingsman a nod to that? Oh, yeah, this is well before Kingsman. That's what I mean. So Kingsman well, was 20 odd years later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you reckon that was a little nod to Dog Soldiers? Oh, yeah. Dog Soldiers is everywhere. Okay. Yeah. 
<laughs> now, Cooper attacks the captain, but the captain uses his special forces ninja skills to knock Cooper square on his ass with instructions to send him back to his unit. Um, although I will say in some of the uh, comments for this film, there were a couple of gentlemen from the army who actually have a problem with this scene. Okay. Um, and the problem that they have with the scene is that they were like, you realise how much it costs to, to train, train a, dog. a military dog. And he's like, they're easily fifty dollars to $100,000 depending on the dog and its skills. And he's like, that dog probably had a higher rank than <laughs> all of the soldiers there. Yeah. So if somebody did shoot one of those dogs, there would probably – there would be a lot of repercussions and you probably would be uh, demoted. Yeah. But for now, we're just setting up the fact that Ryan is clearly an asshole. Yeah. Here's something we can do for a future episode. Yeah. It's a very sad story. Yeah. During the Vietnam War. Yeah. And I'm, I'm feel ashamed that I'm about to pull this out as the saddest part of that. Oh. Uh-huh. But Australian soldiers went over there with bomb detecting dogs mm. who were incredible. Like they found pretty much all the booby traps. Yeah. Uh, but because of quarantine laws, they couldn't bring them back into Australia. So all these Australian army dogs were left in Vietnam. Yeah. Fuck, I hate human beings so much. Well, it's like in in the war, we shipped all the Australian horses um, into Europe and then for quarantine laws, we're like, oh, we can't bring them in. So we shot them and sold them for dog food. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. We're a great species. Uh, (laughs) So a couple of weeks later, uh, we see Cooper and the rest of his squad being dropped into a remote forest by helicopter as one squatty screams that he doesn't want to go. (laughs) <laughs> but why doesn't he want to go? Well, a simple reason. And for – I did actually – I listened to a couple of other um, podcasts who did episodes on dog soldiers. Yeah. And I feel as we do this, I want to clarify some things for the American listeners because yeah. the, these were some American podcasts and I don't think they quite understood. Um, it's England versus Germany in the soccer world Cup. This isn't just sport. This is footy war. Oh yeah, this is Normandy all over. Again. Yeah, yeah. This is this like things called World War One and World War Two. Yeah. Um. Forget all that shit. Oh, it's over. We all love each other. Not when it comes to soccer, mate. Not when it comes to the footy. This is World War Three. Yeah. Unless you're talking Christmas Eve, nineteen seventeen. Yes, except for that. Yeah. You know, you bloody hippie. Could you bring that up? <laughs> yeah, too soon. <sighs> <sighs> now, this is undoubtedly the greatest football match of their lives and they are stuck out here playing war games with no radio contact. As we learn, the soldiers are stuck out here with weapons that only fire blanks, trying to evade capture by special force units, using them as practice. The sergeant of this rough-and-tumble band of squaddies, however, has no intention of giving in without a fight or going down without a gratuitous amount of violence. But then we see that Special Forces is watching them from the beginning. But then we notice something is watching Special Forces. (gasps) The English squaddies carry on their march through the forests of Scotland At one point, the squad stopped to rest and Cooper begins to tell the rest of the squad spooky stories about the area and campers that have gone missing. Yeah. He says that some people have blamed the disappearances on an escaped lunatic 
which is a cheeky reference to the 1981 film An American Werewolf in London, as the villagers in that film use the excuse of an escaped lunatic. (laughs) He also goes on to mention that it could be the Beast of Bodmin Moor, an English cryptoid that is reported to roam the moors of Cornwall and England, described as a giant cat-like creature that roams the wildlands, consuming and mutilating livestock and perhaps lost souls. That's just Shane Warne lost on a cricket tour. <laughs> Looking for something deep fried. <laughs> <laughs> Must have been. <laughs> the squatters continue their trek through the woods. The area, although damp, looks almost peaceful as they walk past large brown highland cows that leisurely stand chewing grass. If you haven't seen a highland cow, look one up. Oh. They are the supermodels of cows. The highland coo. Oh, they're beautiful. Yeah. We see the squaddies set up camp for the night. They discuss the things that scare them, the usual things, penalty kickoffs, castration, <laughs> spiders, women and spider women. Welcome to Australia. <laughs> <laughs> and Sean Pertwee gives a really mesmerising two-page monologue about the fate of one Eddie Oswald. Cracked face, cracked nose, Real hit with the ladies. (laughs) Now, Neil Marshall said it was his nod to the Quint speech in Jaws. At the Brussels Film Festival, horror icon Robert Ungland, a.k.a. Freddy Krueger, was one of the judges. He loved this scene in particular and commented that it was the finest scene in the whole movie and at the whole festival and actually requested a copy of Dog Soldiers for his own collection. Oh. (laughs) <laughs> because Freddy Krueger, the franchise was dead and he was going to bootleg him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no one's buying this shit anymore. <laughs> Just him out on Venice Beach. <laughs> oh my God, I loved him in Strippers vs. Zombies, by the way. <laughs> uh, the lads then discover, shall we say, a fat fucking flying cow. One of the large highland cows that they observed earlier, the terrified cow has been slaughtered, bitten and ripped apart. In the morning, the squatties follow the trail left by the unfortunate beast. They do find something, but it is not what they expected. Before we go on, we do actually have the grab of the speech. Oh, the speech? Yeah. So just set the scene. This is They're all sitting around a campfire before the Highland Goo finds its way. And they're discussing the things that terrify them. Yes. I'll tell you something, lads. It really puts things in perspective when you have to scoop your mate up with a shovel and stick him in a bin bag. Anyway, the thing that really did our nuts in that day was when you uh, came across a bit you recognised. Bit of ear, toe and nose, a tough. The thing that really freaked us out that day was when left-hand Charlie found a bit of Eddie with a tattoo on. I mean, everything else was burnt to a crisp, covered in claret, all mushed up, pulped up. Not this bit. This bit was perfect. And there's old Nick, chortling his fucking arsehole off at us. So you could say that Eddie was right. That Satan did indeed save his skin, just not all of it. Beautiful reference to getting a Satan tattoo on your ass. Yeah. And then uh, being blown up by a landmine. <laughs> a 
And the only thing that survives is the tattoo on your the ass. The tattoo on your ass. Oh, my God. You know, for, 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 when you say it like that, it's ridiculous. But to watch it, yeah. absolutely brilliant. It is the highlight of the film. It, it's fantastic. Yeah. Now, what they go on is they, they find blood, guts, except these aren't no cows. It is the camp of the special forces unit that was meant to be hunting them. But the camp has been hit hard and completely overrun. There is nothing left of the special forces unit except bloodstains and intestines thrown across the ground. The Scotties ditch their exercise guns and grab the few weapons they can find. A handgun, some rifles, shotgun and ammunition. But it's mostly tranquilizers and nets. They also find the near lifeless body of Captain Ryan. He is in shock, delirious a huge slash wound across his chest. As they try to bind and cover the captain's wounds, one of the squaddies points out that they need to hurry as it will be dark soon. As darkness begins to fall, as it gets dark, with the full moon providing an eerie and ominous glow to the woods, the silence of the woods is turned asunder to the violent sounds of human screams followed by ancient howls. The squaddies drag the captain to his feet and the squad runs for its life. The others take turns in helping Ryan as Bruce stands rear guard, but Bruce faces something scarier than inhuman screeches from the trees. He faces the very real and very terrifying reality of a faulty weapon. Ah, <laughs> fun. Poor Brucey is doomed, not because of a lack of training, not because of a lack of weapon or a lack of ammunition, but he dies simply because military contracts are given to the lowest contract bidder. That's what it's like being in the British Army, isn't it? Oh, man. I I have to bring that up because in one of the podcasts where I listened, they were joking. They were like, oh, he's a soldier. How does he not know how to fire a gun? <laughs> and you're like, Lord fucking help me. <laughs> <sighs> Bruce has no option but to discard the shit podcast and the weapon and run for his life. <laughs> Poor Brucey was not meant to meet his face in this manner that he does. Originally, he was actually meant to be chased over a crevice like a startled cow. But due to time and budgetary constraints, they had to think on their feet. It is quite ironic that someone whose greatest fear is the self-destructive nature of man manages to die by self-destructing himself into a tree. Ah, that's yeah. He does the old. Oh, I've just run completely through a log. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's real roadrunner shit. <laughs> Let's get him leave a splinter. Just like it's one hell of a splinter. He, he impales himself. Yeah. 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 It, it, you can tell, like you say, like there, there was a lot of thinking on their feet in this film. Yeah. Because there's a lot of action is made cheaply, mm. just with a lot of very fast cuts. <laughs> a lot of strange angles. Yeah. But, I mean, it's one of my things of, like, running through the forest. That's always, like, freaked me out about Star Wars where they're flying through on their little vroom, vroom. I'm like, ooh, yeah. run into a stick, mate. Ah. Yeah, that wouldn't be fun. Yeah. yeah. I do like werewolf vision in this as well. Oh, the werewolf vision's so good. Because, well, no, they don't, <laughs> they don't actually do anything. They just film the same shit during the day and make it black and white. Yeah. It's, it's, Brilliant! It's yeah. genius. Okay, well, they've got very good vision at night, I suppose, and dogs do see in black and white. So that yeah, makes sense. and they see it. It's it's not all about you know. You don't have to spend a million dollars on CGI. Well, they didn't have CGI. Well, they did. It was two thousand and two. <laughs> 
But uh, yeah, trust me, they did not spend a million dollars on that. They just filmed it in black and white. <laughs> I like it. I think the effect is good. Uh, now, the rest of the squad continues to run for their lives, dragging Ryan along with them. When they see a dirt track up ahead and a Land Rover speeding along. The squad rolls out in front of it and they are rescued by Megan. Cooper tells her they need somewhere safe and warm to tend to the wounds of the injured. Megan takes them to a nearby farmhouse, but all of the occupants are missing except the family dog, Sam. Bastard of a dog, by the way. Oh, I got some info on that dog, by the way. I fucking hope it met a gory end. The soldiers pile inside and try their best to patch up their injured, while the rest of the squad devour a pork stew left still cooking on the stew. They realise they need to get their injured squad mate to a hospital or he will not survive the night. They move outside but find that they have been tracked and the engine to the car has been torn apart. They won't be going anywhere in that. <laughs> and it's a, it's a Series 4 Land Rover, by the way. Oh, yeah. It's That's... British steel, mate. Yeah. <laughs> I love those old Land Rovers because they're completely angular. Yeah. It's like someone who was just very good at a trade. <laughs> Drove a Jeep and just went, I can make something better. And they yeah. just made this fucking like Minecraft vehicle that's just all right angles. <laughs> You've just described the British Empire. It's <laughs> exactly the spirit it was built on. <laughs> but with slave labour. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Uh, the squad retreats back inside and they have to decide, do they go and snuff it or stay? And snuff it. Uh. Decisions, decisions. There is only one thing to do and Cooper instructs Terry to put the kettle on. Quote, we could all do with a brew. (laughs) Because there ain't nothing an Englishman can't do with a warm tea in his belly. No offence to the Sarge. Well, they're all Scotsmen. (laughs) What? There was no iron brew in this film. What the fuck? (laughs) <laughs> no, it just the You lead. know what I could do with Sarge? An iron brew and a deep fried Mars bar. bar. <laughs> <laughs> and some heroin. <laughs> yeah, but Scotland doesn't have an army, you know. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> no, you're in the UK. Are you in the UK? Oh, no, they don't have their own army now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, but, you okay. know, they've yeah. got some rather large towers. Well, they had Mel Gibson and that was, that was it. <laughs> Oh. The monument to William Wallace is something else. Oh, really? Yeah, I've, I've never been to Scotland, but I've seen the pictures. Oh, what is it? It's it's a fucking huge tower in the middle of the Scottish lowlands or whatever you'd call them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's just this monstrous fucking... Of uh, him? No, well, no, it's a, it's like a rampart tower. It's, oh, it's okay, huge. yeah. huge. It's oh. fucking huge. I just would have done like just a giant middle finger just right on the border with England. <laughs> well, they're about to do that with their next Brexit vote. <laughs> Scottish independence, here it comes. Here it comes. Oh. Now, this is where Megan reveals that what they are facing is lycanthropes. That's werewolves to you and me. Of course, she's a fucking scientist and she can't just say werewolves. <laughs> I can't tell you how glad I'm not, I am to not be working for a university anymore. Uh, oh, you mean this this fucking thing that you've done is reflective? No, it's a polymer that shapes... The fucking shut up. <laughs> that reflects It's things. reflective, knobhead. <laughs> uh, now, this is where Neil... And I said I feel that the movie sets itself apart from others. It's yeah. a soldier movie with werewolves. 
Um, both the director's father and grandfather were both English army squaddies. So this may be how he captures their dark humour and fierce loyalty so well. Yeah. But this film had been a long time coming. Although released in 2002, Neil Marshall wrote the script back in 1996. Neil says that he wrote the film as a knee-jerk reaction to watching the film An American Werewolf in London, <laughs> which he said wasn't really very good. Oh, fuck you. Terrible, in fact. Fuck you, Neil Marshall. It's a masterpiece. Amazing transformation scenes, but little story. It's hilarious. I'm with Neil Marshall. It's fucking hilarious. It would take six years to... I'm sorry, but his fucking... His werewolf transformation scene later in the film is like something from Bollywood. And not even good Bollywood. It's just like go down behind the table and then stand up and you've got plastic teeth in and then go down again and bob back up and you're wearing contacts. When you don't have a budget. He had a budget. It is a shine back. He had two and a half million dollars. Horror 2.3. All right. Have a horror. That was that's a whole genre exists of like, you know what? We can't have a ridiculous CGI. Yeah. We don't have the money. We'll just do the whole, I'll pop down behind some furniture. Voila. <laughs> yeah. I pop up, I'm a werewolf. There you go. You can be more creative than that. Uh, well, he makes the noises oh. while he's changing. You're difficult. Fucking, I'm sorry it's not Avengers. God. <laughs> It would take six years to refine the script and find financing. Six years and that's what he came up with? The final shooting script was about its 17th draft. It's an excellent draft. (laughs) There was some some cracking dialogue in it. Oh, it's great dialogue. Great dialogue. But he does not know how to direct action. Yeah, he does. (laughs) Neil Marshall, who was working as an editor at the time, showed the script to actor Sean Pertwee. Sean said in a later interview that Neil, that Neil had not told him the premise before handing him the script. <laughs> Quote, I wasn't quite sure what the hell was going on initially. I couldn't work out whether they were aliens or whatever. Of course, you get the reveal later on in the film. No one said to me, it's a werewolf film. <laughs> I thought it was Nazi aliens at first, to be honest with you. <laughs> Neil had only directed short films at this stage and this was to be his directorial debut. But that didn't stop Pertwee from getting on board. Uh, But it would take another six years before funding could be found and cameras started rolling. To be fair, and in Neil Marshall's defence, to put out a film like this during the British geezer gangster wave... yeah. Is pretty incredible. Yeah, because everything. Yeah, everything was all like, oh, "I'm a gangster." Yeah, you know. everything was lock, stock, mm-hmm. snatch, layer cake. Yeah, all those Cockney fucking geezer films. Yeah, like I mean, England in like the seventies had such a rich history of horror, and yeah. then just sort of completely moved away from horror. Like it was, it was yeah. a dirty secret. Um, yeah, and everything moved to TV with like late eighties, early nineties Doctor Who was fucking terrible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sean Pertwee recalls the phone call that came out of the blue. They rang me up and said, we start in two weeks. <laughs> I hadn't heard from them in ages, so I couldn't believe it. <laughs> the film would be shot on a budget of $2.3 million, which was super low budget for its day. That's, yeah. Now, remembering that this was before the digital age, this yeah. was still the age of film. 
Um, although the film is set in Scotland, with the exception of some sweeping second AD shots, it was actually filmed in Luxembourg due to tax breaks and investment by the Luxembourg Film Fund. Yeah, so the, a whole bunch of dirty money went through this film. <laughs> the Grand Duke of Luxembourg actually allowed part of the filming to occur on the Duke's estate. Oh. The Duke actually visited the set one day. Unfortunately, it was the day that Sean Pertwee has his stomach ripped open by a werewolf. <laughs> so Sean got to meet the Duke of Luxembourg with a pouch of sausages strapped to him. No word as to whether the Duke has ever let anyone ever film anything else on his estate since. <laughs> but can you imagine? If you're like, oh, oh Duke of Luxembourg, Sean Pertwee, Sean Pertwee, Duke of Luxembourg. <laughs> Sausages. <laughs> Shake hands with beef. <laughs> I was say, oh my god! People say that the Europeans like you know kiss double cheek. No, we just <laughs> shake colons. <laughs> uh, now, unusual for films, the film was mostly shot in chronological order. What? The reason basically was money, because the budget was so low, and with most of the money being spent on film. Yeah. And the werewolf costumes, they could only afford actors and crew for set periods. So once your time was up, it was up. And as soon as an actor was killed on screen, it was goodbye to the production as well. Sean Pertwee recalls, they were taken with their bags straight onto a plane and flown back to Blighty. Because it was a relatively low-budget movie, we didn't have the money to keep people on or make sure that there was no scratches on the film or anything like that. They were sent off packing, so there was a real sense of loss. <laughs> Which made every more death more poignant for the actors because they really did lose a member of their squad each time. Yeah. So basically they, they, just, they had so much to spend on accommodation. And you were just driven straight to the airport. Put your innards back in. Get the <laughs> fuck out. You're off the payroll. <laughs> oh, Pertwee says, <laughs> The speed that we were shooting was insane, but we were all on it. Everyone was on the same page. Half the time, we hardly knew where shooting or where the camera was, which was great. No time for vanity. There are only two small parts of CGI used uh, in the film. Uh, one is to create a tiny little blue flame <laughs> during the big finale uh, because they felt they were overused and frankly over budget. So all of the werewolf effects are a combination of animatronics, bodysuits and stilts. Marshall also made the decision to employ dancers rather than stunt people to wear the bodysuits as he wanted the werewolves to appear more agile and graceful. And they were cheaper. <laughs> Non-union dancers. Marshall was determined that it was obvious that these were human wolves, not wolves, and that they walked upright. Okay. But the soldiers almost looked very different too. The lead soldier, I always love the alternative casting. Oh, here we go. And oh, I always love it. The lead soldier is played by Kevin McKidd, who you may recognize from Train Spotting, 
or later on in life sold his soul to become Owen Hunt on the TV show Grey's Anatomy for the last 13 years. Was he on Grey's Anatomy? He still is. Wow. For the last 13 years. I've never seen the show. He's had some work done. Oh, no, don't I, tell me I that. I don't watch it either, but I see pictures. I went through a real phase where I watched nothing but extremely depressing movies. Yeah. And I watched a lot of that early stuff, like Scottish stuff like Acid House mm-hmm. and... Jesus fucking Christ, that still haunts me, man. Him with that teenage moustache. Yeah. Comforting oh. his daughter while he can hear his girlfriend being fucked upstairs. Oh. <laughs> so good luck to him if he's had some work done because I would have wanted to escape that past too. Yeah. Um, but he was not always cast. Originally, oh, the role be. was given. Okay, think English actor. Uh, Sean Bean. No. No, okay. Um, it was actually in one of the movies you mentioned earlier. American Werewolf in London? No, 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 the English gangster geezer films. Oh, right. Uh, Dexter Fletcher. Close. Jason Statham. Fuck off. Jason Statham, Fast and Furious, wow. The Meg, Transporter. He nearly was in this. Jason Statham. Wow. Jason Statham was on board but then chose to star in the John Carpenter film Ghost of Mars instead at the last minute. Good on him. And the role was given to Kevin McKidd. Okay. Who killed it, by the way? But then Kevin cracked one of his ribs in the first few days of shooting. Oh, no. But hid it from Marshall for fear that he would be replaced. But the pain became too much and he was forced to reveal the injury to get (laughs) painkillers. Marshall again reached out to Statham, who looked like he may have been able to take over the role. But then last minute scheduling issues arose with the Ghost of Mars being extended and Statham had to withdraw and Kevin was rehired. Oh man! With his dodgy rib. Fuck. Yeah. It's like, I mean, he does kill it, so there's a reason he probably looks in pain because he's getting around with a bloody cracked rib. Yeah. Whoo! But Kevin wasn't the only actor fired from the set. Sam the dog. <laughs> Good. Found at the Harm House was actually the second casting choice after the original dog was let loose after giving a rather lacklustre performance. When you say let loose, are you talking like on the Duke of Luxembourg's property <laughs> to then be shot or? He was fired and sent packing. <laughs> yeah, no, he was fired. Uh, apparently the first dog wouldn't stand. It wouldn't even bark. It wouldn't even look interested <laughs> as it was surrounded by werewolves. <laughs> So, in a desperate rush, he was replaced at the last minute by a border collie from Denmark named Vilkris Acer. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's an easy one to say. Come here, boy. <laughs> Come here, Vilkris Acer. <laughs> Another actor. Oh, my God. There's actually a scene where Sam the dog, yeah. um, near the end of the films, where one of the werewolves come in. And actually bends down to look at Sam the dog. Like the xenomorph looks at Jonesy the cat. Yeah. Um, But as you can see, Sam the dog is not very happy. (laughs) No. 
at uh, the werewolf and it turned the actor in the werewolf costume was not very happy either because he actually thought Sam the dog was about to like legitimately like attack him because you yeah. can see Sam is not happy at all. Yeah, he goes crazy bark. Yeah, and the actor almost <laughs> shit himself because he thought that he was going to actually like and his face is right up in there so nobody was happy with that scene. <laughs> But another now famous actor was also offered a part in the movie. Please tell me it was Jean-Claude Van Damme as the original dog. English actor right. in actually one of your favourite films. Again, you mentioned earlier. Okay. Uh, I don't know what film I mentioned earlier. Simon Pegg. Get fucked. From Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. And now Star Trek. Apparently was offered the role, uh, not of Coop, I imagine of Spoon. Yeah. But turned it down after his good friend Edgar Wright asked him to save his horror acting debut for his zombie, Shaun of the Dead. Oh, man. Which was released two years later in 2004. How much though... Like, would you have that much confidence in your friend to turn down your first feature film role because your mate's like, nah, come on, honestly, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna make a movie. I don't have the funding yet, but I'm gonna make it. We love horror. Come on, we go to quiz nights all the time. Yeah, if it was Edgar Wright, yeah, I would. You would. Well, he was he was directing um, Spaced. Yes, and a few other things like that. So he had the chops. Yep, yep, but yeah. So he. Uh, uh, Sure. Uh, Simon Pegg turned down the role in Dog Soldiers. There you go. But there was also a different actor cast for the opening tent scene as well. The original actor experienced passport issues. Okay. <laughs> so Neil was left to scramble. They had the location, the crew, just no actor. So Neil phoned an actor he had worked with on a short film two years previously, just out of the blue. The guy was in a play in Newcastle and Neil asked him if he could come to Luxembourg the next day and start shooting. (laughs) There was an awkward one-minute wait while the Oster rushed off to check his passport was in date. Thankfully it was and by the next day he was in Luxembourg and was driven straight to the set. Wow. (laughs) That's why you do those short films, man. Two years later. Wouldn't you have just grabbed the sound guy or something? Well, because the guy's got dialogue. Yeah, but you're in you're in Prague. He was yeah. he, he needed a Scottish actor because yeah. it was supposed to be set in. Did he have Scottish crew? No. Oh, so he actually had. Yeah, it was all it was all uh, Prague crew. Jesus fucking Christ! How, how was he even talking to them? <laughs> I'm sure there are people in Prague speak English. Oh yeah, true. But jeez, oh, I don't know. But this would not be the last obstacle on the set. One of the early scenes of the film sees the squad being dropped off by helicopter into the woods. Oh, now this is where I fucking pissed myself laughing. Except as it was pointed out at the last minute, the insurance company would not cover all of their actors jumping out of the helicopter. But by a stroke of luck, a large proportion of the crew on set were all in fact (laughs) ex-military. So in the beginning of the film, you will see essentially the crew. There's a production runner, a couple of drivers and the location manager (laughs) all jumping out of the helicopter in the actor's uniforms. (laughs) 
Now, one of the most memorable scenes in the movie is where Cooper takes Sergeant Wells upstairs and attempts to stick him back together with some super glue. Yes. If you remember this one. I do. Now, for those of you wondering, can you actually use super glue to glue your intestines back in? Well, yes. Now, I mean, super glue is used by medical staff these days. Yeah. And now, originally, super glue was invented in the 1940s for use on plastics. And yes, was found to stick even better on skin. But the formula caused skin irritation and can actually damage and even kill tissue. But by the Vietnam War, they tested a spray version for infield use by soldiers. But the formula in that is slightly different to your household superglue. So for anything other than a werewolf home attacks, I probably wouldn't suggest it. Okay. Uh, because there is a slight difference between, you know, household superglue and <laughs> medical superglue. But again, apocalypse, end of the world, werewolf attack. Yeah, you're, you're going to end up using a Bostic glue stick from school. Yeah, just like just glagging it together. <laughs> yeah, paper mache. Uh, what's cool though is this scene is referenced in a book called Small Favour by Jim Butcher. Yeah. When a character is disemboweled, they talk about super gluing the character back together and they talk about super glue being used in the Vietnam War. Then the character admits that they only heard about that in a movie about werewolves. <laughs> The other glorious thing about this scene is where a drunk Sergeant Wells insists that Cooper knocks him out. The first thing you should know about this scene is that Sean Pertwee somehow convinced the director that it would be best if he, in fact, got really drunk for that scene. Ah, so here's his reenacting Quint again. Legitimately drunk, (laughs) which for some reason Neil agreed to and Sean did. He drank about three quarters of a bottle of brandy for the scene. Nice. Now, Cooper punches him, but it fails to knock out Pertwee, much to his annoyance. So, Cooper punches him again, except this time he actually misjudges the stage punch and fully connects with Pertwee's nose, sending blood flying (laughs) across the room. (laughs) Pertwee said later... I don't know about how many a few was, but it's way more authentic drunk acting than you often get in a movie. So I was happy with that. (laughs) I just remember my head snapping back and then looking at all the standby props and FX guys standing there going, Jesus. They called cut and everyone went, you were right. And I was laughing, thinking it was just all fake muck and blood that was around but it was my own claret. <laughs> it was interesting seeing the scene at the premiere because I didn't quite remember it. To all the budding actors, Pertwee said he wouldn't recommend it, but we were in a very safe space. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, later in the film, when the squad fails in a second escape from the house and Wells is knocked over, Sam the dog grabs a hold of Wells' stomach bandages and begins to tug on them like a dog with a chew toy. <laughs> now, originally in the script, Neil had written that the dog grabbed a hold of Wells' intestines and started tugging, but decided that on audiences would find that a little bit too confronting. <laughs> so instead, the dog grabs his bandages. Although, much to Neil's chagrin, most people apparently think that the dog is grabbing his intestines anyway. That's what I anyway. thought, yeah. yeah. 
The drama of the scene is brought to a sudden halt by a young, inexperienced private Terry throwing up on Captain Ryan's head. (laughs) Poor Liam Cunningham was forced to enjoy his head being thrown up on seven times over several takes. And poor Leslie Simpson in his feature film debut was forced to endure several mouthfuls of cold vegetable spew. Stew and not actually throw up. (laughs) Although Liam said by the sound of laughter by the seventh take, he thinks they might have actually got it on the first one. (laughs) If you ever want to see some fantastic movie spewing, (laughs) you have to watch the the behind the scenes featurette on um, Mandy. Oh, I still haven't watched that yet. Oh, I'm not. I'm not going to talk about it anymore. Then. Okay. Okay. Let me. Let me. Let me enjoy that moment. Uh, now, football-loving Private Joe, played by Joe Kirkley, confessed on set on the night of filming, where his character is supposed to run to the barn and then jumps in the old jeep and then drive it back to the house. He confessed at that moment. Right before filming. Yeah. That he couldn't actually drive a car. <laughs> Neil punished him by making him attempt it anyway in front of everybody. Okay. And in Neil's words, he did it and ran off the road. <laughs> so maybe that wasn't the werewolf breath behind him in that scene, just an angry, angry director. We do have the grab from that as well. It's one of the it's one of the most beautiful bits of dialogue in the whole film. Oh, I love it. You're behind me, aren't you? I'm gonna fucking have you! I'm gonna fucking have you. Oh my god! This is one of the reasons that I love this movie so much because you know what? This is an honest interpretation, I think, of every, like, English squaddy out there. <laughs> this is how England, like, freaking conquered the world. Even, like, being confronted by a seven-foot fucking werewolf behind his... What's his response? He gets fucking angry. He goes full fucking Wembley Stadium on him. I'll fucking have you! Well, this was preceded by probably my favourite moment in the whole film, um, which is where one of the other soldiers has to create a diversion. <laughs> so yes. it's his job to run out and basically do the Jurassic Park flair for the T-Rex. As loud attract- as possible. <laughs> and, and basically get their attention. But instead of like Professor Ian Malcolm going, hey, 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 over here, he stands on a mound, lights a flare and... Come on, have a go if you think you're not enough! Fucking hell. It's like a footy chant. It is. Fucking love it. Oh, my God. It's this- very Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I freaking love it. That is just the UK, yeah. like, just summed up in two scenes. I, at some point, they should have just shown all the werewolves had, like, a Rangers shirt on and all the soldiers were Celtic fans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's got the flares. Woo! Oh, my God. Now... When it came to actually blow up the barn, it was the director himself who almost ruined the party. When the barn exploded, the director just burst out into loud laughter. Right. Quote, 
I kind of forgot we were running the camera. Luckily, it wasn't sound dependent, but I just thought it was awesome. <laughs> it is a pretty good explosion. It's a, I've always wondered why they didn't do it in miniature. Well, I guess no time, no money. You got a barn, it's blow it up. Fucking cheaper to do it in miniature. No, but that's the end of the original ending of Mad Max 2. Originally, the camp, um, when they take it over, wasn't supposed to be blown up. It was only after um, they had finished. There was a, like an alternative ending. Yeah. But someone went, oh, shit, we got to get rid of all these like cars with spikes and all this shit. Like, what do we do? And someone's like, fucking broken hill. <laughs> went and got a shit ton of like explosives from the mine and literally went, we'll just evaporate it. We'll just fucking explode everything. <laughs> One of the cameramen decided to film it. They loved the footage so much. They were like, fuck it. There's the new ending. <laughs> there you go. And also, why would you not blow something up? Well, true. Yeah. Like, why would you go miniature? Why the fuck wouldn't you blow up a shed? Aren't you a fucking fan of James Cameron? Oh my God. Well, no, that accepted. Yeah. Um, that was different. <laughs> <laughs> There's also a scene in the movie where Megan cuts her hand on a smashed glass in a window pane. This was actually a critical plot point for the following sequel as part of a trilogy that Neil Marshall had planned for the series. A scene that was also edited out of the film was a reference to Cooper's love life who, through a series of Polaroid photos actually taken at the bar of their hotel in Luxembourg, oh dear. shows Cooper with his lady and in love, and then another man appears and his love hooks up with the other man, leaving Cooper heartbroken and single. <laughs> Which is why Megan says the line later in the film to Cooper, you might think all women are bitches, but I'm the real thing. That's one of the things that really – it's like at no point in that film do you think he's a misogynist. No. It, it made no sense. No, no, absolutely. I know. And the, one of the – I know. It, it's a very sort of jarring sentence. And the reason was, was because it was sort of set up before that, you know, he was looking at the Polaroids, you know, when everyone's all like, oh, we're going to die. He's looking at the love of his life and then you go through all the Polaroids yeah. where he's just been dumped. And okay. so – that's why he's like... Um, now, the picture that Sergeant Wells holds when he's looking lovingly at the picture of his wife in the middle of the film, they only realised on set that they did not have a picture of a wife. Ah. And none of the cast or crew had one, or at least one that was presentable. <laughs> They, they just had a video message from David Ellison from Megadeth. Just... <laughs> well, yeah, because it's supposed to be, you know, like him. Oh, I'm looking at my face. It's all very sad. It'll like reminiscent. Can you imagine that, like, you know, those Prague guys just had pictures of like big Valkyries in like red lingerie with titties out, just like sucking on a banana. Can you imagine if he was just lovingly looking at that? He's like, oh. Yeah, you need a good Scottish woman with one tit. And a fucking glassing scar. <laughs> Luckily, the director had a picture of his sister Sue in his wallet. Oh, what? And what? That was the picture used. Why has he got a picture of his sister in his wallet? Oh, I, you got no one. He didn't even have a cat. You got you put a picture in so you don't look like a complete sad pot. That's fucking. That's. I come from a small town known for incest, and I don't have a picture of my sister in my wallet. <laughs> I'm not saying he's tweaking it to her. I 
don't know. Maybe maybe she raised him. Maybe they don't like each other. Maybe they have a strong family connection. He's fucking weird. <sighs> Later on in the film, <laughs> another one of the most loved characters in the film. I'm just going to say it. One of the most loved characters. Spoonie! Uh, is left in the kitchen to fight off a werewolf. And he's run out of ammunition. It's burst down the door. What do you do? If you're Spoonie, you fucking square up (laughs) and you fucking challenge it to a fucking fist fight, which he does. He goes full Bruce Lee. Oh, my God. And at one stage actually kicks a tooth out of the werewolf. He does. He kicks its ass for a good few minutes. Oh, my God. It's fantastic. Now, in that scene where he actually gets to the point, he's stabbing it that doesn't work. So Spoon actually begins to just throw everything, as you would, I think is such a normal reaction. He's literally just picking up everything that he can find, throwing at the werewolf, just trying to hurt it by time, do what you can. The problem was, as they realised, they had ordered a sh- you know a shitload of you know they had broken bottles. Yeah. However, none of the thing else in that kitchen was breakable. Oh dear! It was all legitimate cutlery, plates, um, and crockery. So when he has to just desperately, just without, just start throwing stuff around, what they did was two members of the crew issued with police riot helmets and riot shields, stood on either side of the camera to protect the cameraman while Spoon throws the room at the camera. Fucking hell. (laughs) The other thing to note is later on, another character may have an unfortunate incident in the kitchen of death and he cuts a gas pipe. And when he cuts the gas pipe with a butcher's knife... Yes. He then, in his last moments, just uh, just throws the butcher's knife away as he's letting the house fill with gas. Yeah. The thing is, as he cuts it and then throws the butcher's knife away, again, wasn't a prop. Oh, Jesus. Actually was a butcher's knife and was millimetres away from taking off the leg of the AD who just happened to be standing to the side of Sean Pertwee. Fucking hell. <laughs> this is why you always stand behind the camera. Always stand behind the crown. Oh, and another thing, which I'm going to mention just for the uh, uh, weapon lovers in, yeah. the, in the audience. Um, one small issue with the film. Uh, two squad members are actually shown twice using an S80 rifle left-handed. Right. Which in reality is a gun that should only be used, used right-handed, even by left paws, um, because on the handle of the right side of the weapon would break the shooter's jaw if it's actually used left-handed. Oh, so like that's where the, um, I don't know what you'd call it, the, the, bolt. the, the bolt return. Yes. Um, so, but that's a, that's a small problem. Um, oh, my God. And there's just one more thing that – because – the director's commentary to this film is brilliant. Right. Where the cast and the crew. There's also a second commentary where it's the American directors who apparently needed translators for a lot of this film. Wow. And I just want to clarify for the American listeners because apparently there is some confusion. Um, Sean, uh, Sean Pertwee screams, I'm in the car Yes, the toilet. 
Yes, Kazi is a slang term for toilet. He is saying Kazi and not closet <laughs> as one of the American producers saying, oh, yes, he's saying I'm in the closet as in because the English people say water closet for their <laughs> toilet. And you're like, not since the 17th century, mate. When they literally did shit in a bucket. <laughs> In your water closet. Yeah. No, it's a Kazi. Yeah. A Kazi is a toilet. Yeah. You know, just for our American uh, listeners. Um, oh, another little uh, interesting bit. Um, in the basement of the house, you actually see a lot of bodies that are strung up from the ceiling. Yes. Obviously, they didn't have the money, a lot of big production money. So, for that scene, somebody might have got a little bit light-fingered. With a larger film that was being uh, shot at the same time. Right. And may have borrowed for a short amount of time the bodies from another little film, Event Horizon, <laughs> which also saw, uh, is starring Sean Pertwee. Yeah. And one of the bodies is actually a fake body of Sean Pertwee <laughs> that's hanging in the basement of his other film, Dog Shoulders. Um, now, the film was released at selected theatres in Europe in 2002. However, in the US, it was not released at cinemas. Instead, it premiered on the Sci-Fi Channel. Ah, prestigious. Neil says, I think that was partly a lack of courage on the part of the producers that they took the first deal that was offered to them. One of the American producers also lobbied for a change of the title of the film to... <sighs> it's bad. Night of the Werewolves. What? But everyone else fought against that title. Night of the Werewolves? Night of the Werewolves. Jesus fucking, fucking Christ. Christ. <laughs> <laughs> now, in different locations around the world, it was released with one of these three taglines. Okay. Yep. Okay. These were your three options. Instead of let's just pick a really good one and go with it. Yeah. The three were... A, a bitch of a werewolf movie. Yes. Sexist. <laughs> Two, this is honestly the worst tagline ever in the history of the world. Imagine you're leading a six-man squad on a routine army exercise and it all goes horribly wrong. Is that it? <laughs> That's it. Fucking hell. So bad. How do these people have jobs? I know. Like, how? That's not. A, it's not even a proper sentence. Like, it's just. That's a, uh, that's like not even good enough for a clickbait. You'll never imagine what, what happens. What is coming with that? Oh god. Or the third option: six soldiers, full moon, no chance. That's pretty good. But surely it should have been six soldiers, one moon, no chance, zero chance. No, I like the first one. I fine, be that way. <laughs> well, the DVD you gave me had a bitch of a werewolf on the fucking cover. I didn't print it. I know. I'm not did. endorsing it. <laughs> fucking hell. Well, some fucking idiot did. <laughs> Probably the same idiot that wanted to call it Night of the Werewolves. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> some guy who's fucking, who worked with Ed Wood. <laughs> Oh, my God. In 2002, it won the Brussels International Festival of Fantasy Films Top Award, The Golden Raven, as well as the Audience Award for Favourite Film. 
In total, the film was nominated for several awards at various film festivals around the world and secured five victories. And it also secured a cult following both in Europe and in the United States, which came as a surprise to its star, Sean Pertwee, how big it got in the US. I'm surprised, yeah. Who quotes, It's as popular in America as it is in Europe now. I'm sorry, but after casting it at Geordie's, and I don't fucking understand anything they say, <laughs> but it's beloved over there as it is over here. Uh, thank God. Uh, has it been redubbed? <laughs> Probably with subtitles on <laughs> yeah. it. This, uh, this is going to blow your mind. For a long period, Dog Soldiers was the most watched movie by British forces serving in Afghanistan and Iraq. Anything to get away from Prince Harry. (laughs) Now, even years later, people talked about sequels, but it never seemed to quite happen. In 2004, producer David E. Allen said a sequel called Dog Soldiers Fresh Meat (laughs) would be filmed over 35 days with a budget of $5.5 million. Oh, they could blow up two sheds. Oh, yeah. Then it was delayed to 2006... Then delayed to 2008. Then all mention of the project was removed from the company's website. Okay. In 2011, the producer announced Dog Soldiers Legacy was in pre-production. Yeah. But then was postponed. A poster for Dog Soldiers Fresh Meat was released saying coming in 2014. But that was the extent of the work on the production. Although Neil has essentially given up all hope on a sequel and jokes it will probably be remade before it gets the sequel done. (laughs) There there was also word... This is... Oh, my God. There was also word about an American remake, which which doesn't impress Sean Pertwee. No. Says, it would be a shame. It is what it is. I don't think you could recreate it. I don't see really the point. I'm always, when people remake things, like Jacob's Ladder, I'm like, why? Leave it alone. (laughs) And we agree. Don't mix with the classics. Leave it alone. Bad dog. (laughs) And if you do try and remake it. I hope I give you the shits, you fucking wimp. Oh, my God. Yeah, I've got to admit, anyone, if you are horror fans, you have to see it. If you like werewolf movies, come on. I, to me, it's my all-time favourite. It's worth it for some snappy dialogue. Yeah. Absolutely. And some very interesting uh, little saves, like with the, the moment in the Kazi. There are some interesting things. There's some there's some technical stuff about it that shits me. Um, like, like, obviously, the... the the strange references to him hating women. Yeah. That made that, no that was sense. Just, yeah, that was just awkward. Some yeah. very unmotivated reasons for them to be moving. And why the fuck wasn't the woman a werewolf all along? Because well, she was changing. Yeah, well, she took her fucking time. It's a woman's prerogative to be late, you know. <laughs> her body, her choice. Hey, look, sometimes of the month we all run a little bit late now and then, all right? <laughs> Don't judge a woman's body. We are a fine machine. She was a werewolf three days ago when she had PMS. (laughs) Oh my god! No, but I actually, I, I, and I love, and I love this because I think, yeah, it's 
it's an excellent character-driven film. I think if you enjoy things like Aliens, yeah. which is character-driven, um, then I think you would definitely enjoy this because this really is – and. See, I, you know, I'm a huge Western fan. I look at this, yeah. I can see uh, Neil's Western influence on this. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's it's almost like The Hateful Eight in a way. Everything kind of happens. good? Happen, fuck off. Hateful Eight's actually a fun film. Oh, it's really not. It's so <laughs> depressing. It is like kill yourself depressing. Even, even when he destroys that historical guitar, I still think that film's good. Oh, there is no one to like. I mean, I know they're the hateful eight, but still, you've got to be able to root for somebody. I'm rooting for no one in that film. Yeah. Absolutely no one. You know what? I'm rooting for the cabin to fall down and crush them all. <laughs> I wish that cabin would explode. Yeah. I'd laugh at that cabin exploding. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's some things that shit me with this film. Mm. Um, very strange way of filming action. The fact that the the day for night stuff is just fucking terrible. It's a full moon. It's got to be bright. It's a full moon. But, yeah, we're talking about so bright outside that it literally is enough to light entire rooms. Like there's a 4K. That's called a full moon, mate. Yeah, no, it's not. It's a fucking 4K parkhand through a through a scrim going through someone's window. It's a fucking full moon. It's a fucking full moon. Bright fucking moon in Scotland slash Luxembourg. Yeah, you know, fucking bright moons in Scotland. Yeah. Bright fucking moons. You know, and they had a candle. <laughs> they had one candle. <laughs> I think they might have had three or possibly four. Yeah. Um, there was plenty of plot holes, but it was enjoyable. I'm glad I saw it. It is. Uh, you should just, everyone just shut up and, and, <laughs> and go and watch it. Um. So then when we meet, I will ask you, have you watched Dog Soldiers? And they'll be like, yes, we have. And I'll be like, who's a good boy? Who's a good boy? <laughs> I've got to find one of my favourite films to inflict on you now. Mm. I, might, oh. I, might stick, I might make you watch a, it's a really short, it's only like 16 minutes. Yeah. It's a short film made in the late 80s by a, a guy from Los Angeles called Frank Grau. Mm. It's called Red and Rosie. Okay. Oh, you made me watch Patrick. Oh, yeah, but no, uh, yeah, okay. Patrick's uh, shit. I liked it. <sighs> but anyway, watch watch Red and Rosie. I'll flick you the link. Watch Dog Soldiers. All right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna one of these days yeah. stop being lazy and make an episode. And well, <laughs> until you bring it, we're just talking about the <laughs> we're just talking about the fucking movies that you know I love. Yeah. Um. And anyone else out there who loves Dog Soldiers, we can be friends. Um. If you've ever seen anything remotely hairy chasing you across a Scottish moor, we could not be friends. I don't want to be your friend, especially around that time of the month. Oh, and you know what? Talk, talk about talk about your girlfriend with her periods. Normalize it. Normalize it. Yeah. Yeah. Normalize it. Normalize the flow. And you know what? An extra, extra good man. <laughs> An extra good moth man eats the carpet. Eats the rainbow carpet. Oh, my goodness. We've all got our red wings. <laughs> good Lord. <laughs> Until next time. <laughs> Take heed of evil company. <laughs> Uh, and go down on your girlfriend money, period. <laughs> 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 <laughs>